If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we're working our way through Ephesians, and this morning we've come to verse 19, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. There are three big obstacles to our salvation that are laid out for us in the second chapter of Ephesians. The first one we saw was our death in spiritual, in our uh, spiritual death and trespasses and sins. That's in verses 1 to 10. But through Christ, verse 5 says, when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So he's overcome the obstacle of our spiritual death, our, our um, callous disregard and unfeeling condition toward God. That's spiritual death. But the resurrection presence of Christ touched our hearts and quickened us and made us alive. The second problem that had to be overcome with that was our distance from God. We were just far away. That's in verses 11 to 17, but he says in verse 13, a summary statement in this section is verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Just a simple coming to Christ and putting faith in his blood makes that distance go away. And that's uh, the distance issues in verse 11 to 17. And then the third obstacle that we're now looking at is the issue of division, verse 18 to 22. Um, Gentiles were not only dead, but distant and divided from the people of God. And we would say that in his in his grace to us, in his resurrection life to us, he has brought us out of death, he's brought us to life, he's brought us out, solved the issue of distance by bringing us to God, and he solved the issue of division by bringing us together with God's people. So let's read beginning in verse 18. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens or equal citizens with the saints and members of the very household of God. Now, let's remember what Paul is doing here. He's talking to Gentiles who have become Christians and he's showing them their great privilege and their new status that they have before God and before the people of Israel. Remember, God's always had a people. He's always had uh, a family in the earth. He called Abraham out of Babylon and brought him down said, I'm going to give you this land. Then he had his son Isaac, and, and then Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. They were the chosen people. 
they went down into Egypt and, and were there hundreds of years. And finally, God sent Moses down there to deliver them. And so God delivered them from Pharaoh and crossed the Red Sea. And ultimately, under Joshua, they went into the land of Canaan. They were always distinct. They had distinct boundaries. You could tell exactly in the Bible it lays out the map and the Old Covenant. This is where Israel's land begins and this is where it ends. They had distinct boundaries. That was the Holy Land. They had distinct dress. Numbers, it says you were to wear a robe with a blue trim. The men all wore a robe with blue trim on the bottom. And they had distinct uh, hygiene and uh, rituals, keeping Sabbath, sacrificial system, circumcising their babies. Those are all distinctly Jewish things. And if you're a Gentile, then you're just kind of out of luck. Uh, here in... Uh, uh, in the Old Testament, they had an attitude, and this was developed because of Leviticus 20, verse 26, uh, God told them through Moses, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have severed you or separated you from all the other people. You shall be mine. That's Leviticus 20, 26. And the, the, the Pharisees arose based on this idea of separation. You're to be separate. You're distinct. I have severed you from all the other people. The word Pharisee is actually a word that comes from a word which means to be separated. So the Pharisees thought they're doing right. They, Isaiah depicted Pharisees as far back as Isaiah 65, verse 5, an amazing verse of scripture uh, I think we have that <laughs> it's he says they say speaking of the Jewish elders they say stand over there by yourself do not come near to me for I am holier than thou alrighty then and you, you, um, we had a lady this morning at the early service, and, and uh, she came in. I was glad to see her, and I started to pat her on the back, and she jumped back and said, don't touch me. I'm like, okay. She said, I got a really bad sunburn. And what happened was it's like these people were so hypersensitive. They were afraid they would be contaminated by us Gentile sinners. And there's this attitude developed. You remember the story, the parable Jesus told in Luke 18, verse 10. He said, two men went to the temple to pray, and one was a self-righteous Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector who cheated. And the Pharisee said, God, I thank you that I'm not a sinner. That I'm not like this IRS agent over here cheats people bunch of Democrats over there. God, I thank you. I'm a Republican. Hallelujah. I mean, that was the attitude, you know. These people are, do not deserve mercy. They deserve judgment. We had a, a young man come to um, one, our 
services at the early service. This was two or three years ago, and uh, he was he was visiting, and he began to come regularly, and I baptized him. And but the thing is, he wore a cap. And one day, one of the guys just went up to him and said, "You know, you shouldn't wear a cap in church." And he said, "Oh, okay." And he took his cap off. But I never did see much after that. Sometimes I wish that we who are Christians would remember that we one time were lost. And what it's like to be lost. When you're not raised in church, you don't act like you're raised in church. And we need to remember that. Sinners act like sinners. And because they do, we should say, well, praise God, they're here. To hear the gospel and to hear about Jesus Christ. And I am thankful for grace that, that God gave to me. But I pray that God will give that grace to others. But this was the attitude of these early Jewish people. I uh, went, in fact, I went through a period in my life where I just I, I wanted to learn about religions and I went to like Kingdom Hall Jehovah's Witnesses and and uh, went there actually several months before they found out I was a Baptist preacher <laughs> and yeah that didn't go well but uh, but I I went there for a while I, I t attended a Muslim mosque there's a lot of these places that you can go to you know anything other than Sunday morning and the Muslim mosque went there. They were actually really gracious to me and, um, and fed, fed me. We, I stayed and ate with them. Um, uh, and then and I, went, I attended a Jewish synagogue. And the uh, uh, Jewish synagogue that I attended at this time was uh, up on uh, Miller Road near McLaren Hospital. The, the service was a Passover service. And it was packed. I would say hundreds were there. And used, I, I'm used to, when you go into a new church, you know, if y'all have ever visited a church, you know, you go in and somebody, there's a greeter. <laughs> and then they want you to, like, oh, could you fill out our visitor's card so that we can aggravate you to death for the next 12 months? <laughs> you know, and we want you to come back. Uh, you know what? There were no greeters. Nobody gave me a visitor card. I would not have filled one out. I don't like to do visitor's cards. But I was kind of offended they didn't even offer me one. No visitor's cards, no greeting. I was there for, I was early by about 15 minutes. Not one single person greeted me or shook my hand or said, we're glad you're here. I, I don't know. My, my thinking was, that hillbillies and synagogues don't really go good together. <laughs> that, that was just the impression I got. And I, I had to sit in the very back. And some of the service was in Hebrew. Okay, I've been, in, I've been to seminary, but I couldn't understand a word they were saying. And I, I thought, okay, well, we'll just, uh, it was good to be here. Not really, but... <laughs> But to this day, there is a kind of distance 
and detachment. That, that observant Jews have toward outsiders. Now, what I want you to see here in this verse is that as God has overcome our spiritual death by bringing us to life, He's overcome our, our distance by, through the blood of Christ. We've been brought immediately into the presence of God. He's also overcome our division with true Jews, verse 19, where he says this, and he uses four phrases, words or phrases. Verse 19, so you're no longer strangers, number two, foreigners, or some translations have aliens. I'm not sure aliens is a good translation. I keep thinking of something going to pop out of somebody's belly when I read alien. But, uh, uh, but you are fellow citizens, number three, and members of the household of God. So let's look at these four. You are no longer strangers. Now that, I think that's a good translation. I think that's the perfect idea. It's somebody you don't know who they are. They're not, certainly not kin to you. They are not supposed to be here probably. They are strange. Almost a weird idea. Now, when you come in to Christ by the blood, right with new life, you are no longer a stranger to us and to God's people and to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Isaiah, and the prophets. The second word that he uses here is foreigners or aliens. Now, that's a, that's a different word. It's, it's, it's actually a little softer. You're no longer strangers. You're not even aliens. Now, an uh, a foreigner or alien is someone who's a, he's still a stranger, but he's got a passport. He's not a citizen, but he can be there. It's a difference. The first one, stranger, is like a vagrant. The second one is like an immigrant. So he still doesn't belong, but he's not a vagrant. So he's moved. See, he's, he's shifted it a little bit. Then the third word he uses is, he, he goes to the positive side, side and he says, but what you are is fellow citizens with the saints. Equal citizens is literally the, what that word means. Equal citizens. Now this has a couple of ideas behind it. One is that you are equal citizens with the saints. That is, you are not distinct from them. The church is not different from the Israel of the Old Testament. We are not a different flock. And there is a teaching today that, in, that, that says the church is different. It's a parenthesis in the great history of God. Not so. We are equal citizens. We are one nation under God. Only, actually, that belongs to the church, both Old and New Testament. In Acts chapter 7, it actually calls the people of Israel who wandered, followed Moses, it calls them the church in the wilderness. They were the church. We are the church. You are equal citizens with them. You are not distinct 
And I think it's important that we know where our roots are. That, that, if, that the book, the Bible, the Old Testament, that that is our book. That the, the vocabulary that they use is our vocabulary, their definitions, their mission and purpose. The, the Messiah that they expected, that is our Messiah. And the worldview that they taught, the explanation for where the world came from, that is our worldview. In other words, everything that the Old Testament saints, everything the Old Testament people of God had, we are now equal citizens with them. We are not different from them, separate from them. We are not a different religion from the Judaism of the Old Testament. We are an extension, an expansion, and a fullness of it. It is a Judeo-Christian faith that we hold, that Paul is teaching here. Now, the other thing, though, about this idea of fellow citizens is that you're, you're full citizens. That your rights and privileges will be upheld. As God protected Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as God protected Moses and Israel, as God provided for the uh, wanderings in the wilderness by sending manna, as God gave Joshua special wisdom and guidance in war, as God gave Isaiah and Jeremiah special insight and prophecies and, and direction for his day. These are all privileges of being part of God's people. We are, we are right there in the, in the mix. And I was studying for this. I came across this little illustration uh, not wasn't little at the time, but the War of Jenkins' Ear. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. The War of Jenkins' Ear. There was evidently some tension between Great Britain and Spain back in 1739. And there was, the tension was over commerce, ships sending... Uh, materials back and forth and shipping, shipping lanes. And a ship from Spain stopped a smaller ship from Great Britain and boarded it and actually uh, occupied it for about a day and rummaged through their cargo and brought the captain up on board and took a knife <laughs> and cut off his ear. Now, his name was Robert Jenkins. And they put the ear in a bottle of whiskey and handed it back to him. Kind of an insult. And uh, so Robert Jenkins sails back to Great Britain and in front of the king and in front of parliament, he told what this Spanish ship had done. And he held up that bottle with his ear in it. And they were so outraged, they declared war on Spain, and the War of Jenkins' Ear went from 1739 to 1748. See, you cannot do anything to Robert Jenkins since he is a citizen of Great Britain. 
then you do it to him, you've done it to the king. You've done it to the country. You've dishonored the nation. This is, in fact, you just do it to his ear. One guy's ear. And they will bring their war machinery down on you. Have you ever, have you ever heard this verse out of Zechariah 2? He says, uh, you talking to the Jewish people, he says, you are the apple of my eye. The apple of his eye. And I've heard sermons how the Jewish people were the apple of God's eye. Let me tell you something, my friend. When you're a Gentile, you come to faith in Christ, you are not different from that Old Testament, nor their promises, nor their privileges. You are an equal citizen, and you are the apple of his eye if they are. Amen. Amen. And if Abraham can talk to God, and Moses can talk to God, and David can say, God, you are my father, you are my rock, then so can we. Now, one more. Here in verse 19, he says, and you are members of the household of God. That's the fourth thing he says. Now, that one goes even further. The word household here is used in 1 Timothy 5, 4 of the immediate household, immediate family, children, grandchildren, and a mother. So it's a very close it's a, it's a word which means your immediate family. You are members of the immediate family of God. <laughs> now, when we have lunch at my house, I usually sit with my wife, next to my wife, and, and she'll, she, she'll get a big glass of tea, and I sip her tea. I just, you know reach over and take a sip, put it back down. And she's kind of gotten used to it over the years. I'm not saying it's a great habit to be in. But she is my wife, and she don't seem to mind. Now, if I was in a restaurant, and I look over across the way, and at this other guy's table, this other guy's wife, she's got a glass of tea. And I walk up and I say, do you mind if I sip your tea? <laughs> I don't think that would work. If I said to her uh, or and to him, look, it's okay because we're all citizens of the same country. <laughs> we're equal citizens. Yeah, but we're not immediate family. What Paul does here, he said, you're not strangers. You're not even immigrants. You're more than full citizens. You're household of God. The family of God. He's brought us, he's overcoming division. And he's brought us into the very family of God. We all call God our Father. And that is a relationship that transcends race, denominational affiliations. It transcends color and creed and denomination. When you come to Christ, your, our fellowship, the core of 
any true church is the fellowship is in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Then they, we argue and fuss and flop around on a lot of issues, but that's the core of it. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells the story of how when he, before he was converted, and he, he was a, known as the greatest preacher of the 20th century, uh, pastored at, uh, in London for about 30 years, wrote books. He's got like 16-volume set on the book of Romans itself, just Romans. So he, he was just an incredible preacher and pastor and and but before he was converted he was actually a medical doctor to the queen's family so he was had a great career ahead of him 28 29 years old a medical doctor to the family of the queen and and he was he'd been reading the new testament and he began feeling like he he just wanted to come to christ and he wasn't sure what to do how to do it and thinking along these lines, and he's walking down one of the streets in London, and the Salvation Army was out there playing hymns, singing hymns to God, and handing out tracts. And, and here's this educated and, and very uh, highly cultivated doctor walking down the street, and he looks over and sees these people. And something in him, he said, just said to me, those are my people. Not the queen's family. These humble Christ followers, that's my family. That's my people. And with that, he abandoned his professional career in medicine and took up the preaching of the gospel. Those are my people. One of the ways you can know God's working in your heart is when you are around a true, sincere, humble group of believers in Christ and you, you feel like those are really my people. Those are my people. That's the way you know. It's a way you can gain assurance. That's my prayer for you today. He says, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners, you are equal citizens with all the saints, you are actually even members of the very household, the family of God.